In today's podcast, we're going to look at the criticisms of the church in Henry VIII's reign and the debates which historians have around those criticisms. The most obvious criticism of the church is the accusation of corruption. Priests, bishops, monks and many others were all accused of breaking their vows. The criticisms included pluralism, which was receiving the profits from more than one job, forbidden in the church, simony, which was buying church offices, and non-residence, which quite literally meant not being present to perform the duties the job requires, but getting paid. This last one is also sometimes known as absenteeism. Perhaps the most famous example of corruption was Thomas Wolsey. Wolsey held the political office of Chancellor, meaning he was the highest ranking advisor to the King. Alongside this political role, Wolsey was also Archbishop of York. During his time in political power, Wolsey never once visited York, although after his fall from power, he was exiled from court and stayed there until his arrest in 1529. Now, if he was never there, then Wolsey was not able to administer his duties effectively, or even at all. This was one of the complaints. As well as these titles of Chancellor and Archbishop of York, Wolsey also held titles in Bath and in Durham, two of the richest dioceses in England. As well as anti-clericalism, there was criticism of canon law. This means law which affected the church only, and it related to special privileges enjoyed by members of the clergy. Clergymen were protected under canon law. A good example from Tudor England is the case against Richard Hun. Hun was a prosperous London merchant who had been forced to pay excessive fees in order to bury his infant child. Now, there are two different views of what happened to Richard Hun following the paying of these fees. Hun's supporters say the church manufactured unfounded charges of heresy against Hun because he had dared to challenge them. This allowed the church to murder him. His heresy conviction meant that his widow and his remaining children were left destitute. Not only had they lost the breadwinner in the family, who was highly successful, but the penalty for heresy included the forfeiture of all property. Of course, the church held a different view. They said Hun was a heretic who committed suicide while awaiting trial. However, the coroners who looked at Hun's body after his death said it could not have been suicide. Hun was imprisoned by the Bishop of London, and so Hun was his responsibility. Historians generally think the most likely outcome was that Hun was being tortured for a confession, and it went wrong. But the truth was never investigated, and nothing happened to the Bishop of London. This is a clear and specific example of the clergy having special privileges which would not be afforded to members of the laity. 
Another specific example of criticism of the church was Simon Fisher's supplication of the beggar's pamphlet. He said that the economic problems of England in 1528 were the fault of greedy and corrupt churchmen. He also condemned priests, monks and friars who were breaking their vows. Now this does not mean that the criticism was widespread. In fact, Fish was actually much closer to the next group we're going to talk about, the Protestants, than he was to traditional Catholic religion in England. But what these examples do show is that there were people unhappy with the church in England. The growing criticism of religion across all of Europe, not just in England, was from the emerging Protestants. You will have heard about the Lollards in the podcast about Henry VII's religion. If you haven't, go and check it out and find out about the Lollards in more detail. The early Protestants on the continent were led by a German monk called Martin Luther. Although, remember, Germany wasn't a country at the time. It was lots of little different states. His writings reached England in about 1520, but they had very little impact initially. Very few people would have actually considered themselves Lutheran at the time. Remember, you have to think about religion with the idea in your head that this stuff mattered. All of the beliefs, all of the methods of worship, they really, really mattered. It was about saving your eternal soul. And if you did not get these things right, you would burn in hell for all eternity. So people really cared about this stuff, and it really mattered who was right. Martin Luther attacked the idea of transubstantiation, the belief that the bread and the wine actually become the body and blood of Christ. He also attacked the idea of purgatory, that waiting room between heaven and hell. These were two pillars of the Catholic faith in the 16th century. The denial of purgatory means there is no need for monasteries, the good works are not needed because they will not reduce your time in purgatory as it does not exist. And the very denial of God at the Eucharist is about as radical as you could possibly get. Martin Luther insisted the Bible should be read in a person's native language for a better understanding of God's teachings. All of this was considered heresy and anyone who supported these ideas would be considered a heretic. It's important to point out at this point that although burning had been uh, part of the law for heretics since the, the 13th century, the 1200s, very few people had actually been burnt in England as part of the heresy laws. Having said that, Sir Thomas More, Henry's close friend and an absolutely brilliant scholar, did burn Protestants during his brief spell as Chancellor after the fall of Wolsey. Actual Lutherans, though, actual Lutherans in England in 1530 were in the hundreds, not 
the thousands. If you were a Lutheran, then you likely belonged to one of three groups. The first, you were an academic who had studied at Cambridge. What we will see throughout the Tudor period is that Cambridge is a hotbed for Protestantism. The second group is members of the nobility or family members who have had a good education and so would be able to read and understand the Bible for themselves. An example of this is the Boleyn family. The third and final group is probably the largest but the least influential. Literate people in towns. People from that emerging middle class which had begun to grow in Henry VII's reign because of the economic prosperity. These were wealthy merchants or tradespeople. In 1525, a man called William Tyndale published the first ever copy of the New Testament in English. Tyndale published his version of this in English from the Rhineland, which is in modern day Germany. He then had it smuggled into England by other Protestants. This was possible because of the printing press, which had been invented in about 1440 and made the printing of books much easier and therefore much more widespread. Tyndale was eventually captured and executed in 1536, but his contribution to Protestantism was everlasting. Ultimately, while criticism had certainly grown, and we can see very clear and specific examples of legitimate grievances of people against the church, the church in England was still widely popular. People were leaving huge sums of money to the church in their wills, which is evidence used by historian Christopher Hay to show people still supported the Catholic Church. After all, why leave money to a corrupt and unpopular institution? Some historians have also argued that the printing of the English Bible made the Reformation inevitable, while other historians have argued that actually an English Bible did not necessarily mean a Reformation. We'll never know, but what is absolutely clear is that the Reformation in the 1530s completely changed English history, whether it was based on popular support for Protestantism or the desperation of a tyrannical king.